Chapter Eight of And So They Were Married by Florence Moores Kingsley. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Michelle Eaton. Whatever the opinion of the unthinking many on the subject of honest work as related to the happiness of the individual, there can be but one just conclusion as to the effect of continued idleness, whether it be illustrated in the person of the perennially tired gentleman who frequents our back doors at certain seasons of the year, or in the refined woman who has emptied her hands of all rightful activities. At the end of her first week's experience with her new maid, Elizabeth found herself for the first time in her wholesome, well-ordered life at a loss for something to do. When Miss McMurtry stated that she would take full charge of Mrs. Brewster's menage, she meant what she said and Elizabeth's inexperienced efforts to play the role of mistress, as she had conceived it, met with a civil but firm resistance on the part of the maid. Yes, Mrs. Brewster, I had expected to wipe up the dining-room floor this morning after I have finished my kitchen work, she would announce frostily, in response to Elizabeth's timid suggestion. I have my regular days for things, and I don't need to be told. I've already spoken to the janitor's boy about the rugs, and you're pleased to leave some money with me to pay him. Just put it on the kitchen dresser. And no, madam, I shall not have time to make an apple pie this morning. I generally order pastry off the baker when it's called for. Yes, Mrs. Brewster, those were baker's rolls you had on the breakfast table. I ordered the man to stop regularly. You prefer homemade bread, you say. I'm sorry, but I never bake. It is quite unnecessary in the city. The young woman's emphasis on the last word delicately conveyed her knowledge of Mrs. Brewster's country origin and her pitying disapproval of it. Miss Tripp, to whom Elizabeth confided her new perplexities, merely laughed indulgently. You mustn't interfere if you want Anita to stay with you, she counselled. Just keep religiously out of your kitchen, my dear, and everything will go on peacefully. We never think of such a thing as dictating to Marie, and we're careful not to make too many suggestions. Of course you don't know what a perfectly dreadful time people are having with servants here in town. My dear, I could tell you things that would frighten you. Just fancy having your prettiest lingerie disappear bit by bit, and your silk stockings worn to rags, and not daring to say a word. I have lost two handkerchiefs since Anita came, said Elizabeth doubtfully. Oh, handkerchiefs! Nobody expects to keep those forever. Really, do you know, when I treat myself to half a dozen new ones, I conceal them from Marie as long as I possibly can, for fear she'll decide I have too many. Elizabeth's artlessly inquiring gaze provoked another burst of well-bred merriment. You dear little innocent, you do amuse me so. Don't you see, our good Marie doesn't propose to encourage me in senseless extravagance in laundry. You see, there is no telling to what lengths I might go if left to myself and it all takes Marie's time. No, I don't pretend to know what she does with them all. Gives them to her relations, perhaps. She couldn't use them all, and I give her a half-dozen at Christmas every year. Why, they're all that way, and both Marie and Anita would draw the line at one's best silk stockings, I am sure. We think Marie perfectly honest. That is to say, I would trust her with everything I have, feeling sure that she would use her discretion in selecting for herself only the things I ought not to want any longer. They know, I can tell you, and they despise parsimonious people who try to make their old things do forever. You may as well make up your mind to it, my dear, and when you are fortunate enough to secure a really good, 
competent servant like Anita, you mustn't see too much. Just why Elizabeth, upon the heels of this enlightening conversation, should have elected to purchase for herself two new handkerchiefs of a somewhat newer pattern than the one she had lost was not entirely clear even to herself. There had been a new crisp bill in her purse for a number of weeks, nestling comfortably against the twin gold pieces her father had given her on the day of her wedding. Sam had put it there himself, and had joked with her on her economical habits when he had found it unbroken on what he laughingly called her next payday. Seriously, though, little wife of mine, I never want you to be out of money, he had said. If I am cad enough to forget, you mustn't hesitate to remind me, and you need never feel obliged to tell me what you've done with it. This wasn't the ideal arrangement for either, but neither husband nor wife was aware of it, nor of the fact that in the small, dainty purse which lay open between them lurked a possible danger to their common happiness. Elizabeth had been brought up in the old-fashioned way, her wants supplied by her careful mother, and an occasional pocket-piece by her overworked father, who always referred to the coins transferred from his pocket to her own as money to buy a stick of candy with. The sum represented by the twin gold pieces and the crisp bills appeared to contain unlimited opportunities for enjoyment, a bunch of carnations for the dining-table, and a box of bonbons excused the long stroll down Tremont Street, during which Miss Tripp carried on the education of her protégé on subjects urban without interruption. "'If I had only thought to stop at the bank this morning,' observed Miss Tripp regretfully, "'I should simply have insisted upon your lunching with me at Purcell's. "'Then we might have gone to the matinee afterwards. "'There is the dearest, brightest little piece on now, Mademoiselle Rosette. "'You haven't heard it?' "'What a pity. This is the very last matinee. "'Never mind, dear. I shan't be so thoughtless another day. "'But why shouldn't I?' began Elizabeth tardily. "'Then with a deep blush. "'I have plenty of money with me, "'and I should be so happy if you would lunch with me, and... "'My dear, I couldn't think of it. "'I mustn't allow you to be extravagant,' demurred Miss Tripp. "'But in the end she yielded prettily, "'and Elizabeth forthwith tasted a new pleasure.' which is irresistibly alluring to most generous women. That evening at dinner, her eyes were so bright and her laughing mouth so red that her young husband surveyed her with new admiration. What did you find to amuse you today in this big dull town? He wanted to know. It isn't dull at all, Sam, and I've had the loveliest time with Evelyn, she told him, and added a spirited account of the opera seen with the unjaded eyes of the country-bred girl. "'I've never had an opportunity to go to theatres and operas before,' she concluded, "'and Evelyn thinks I ought to see all the best things as a matter of education.' "'I think so too,' beamed the unselfish Sam, "'and I hope you'll go often now that you have the chance.' "'I may as well, I suppose, now that I have Anita,' Elizabeth said. "'It's dreadfully dull here at home when you are gone. "'I've nothing to do at all.' "'Sam pinched her pink ear gently as the two strolled away from the table.' "'How does the new kitchen mechanic suit you?' he asked. "'The meat had been overdone, the vegetables watery, "'and the coffee of an indifferent colour and flavour. he thought privately. "'Why, she seems to know exactly what to do and when to do it,' "'Elizabeth said rather discontentedly. "'And she's very neat. "'But did you like that custard, Sam? "'I thought it was horrid. "'I'm sure she didn't strain it, and it was cooked too much. "'Since you put it to me so pointedly, "'I'm bound to confess 
that the present incumbent isn't a patch on the last lady who cooked for me confessed her husband laughing at the puzzled look in her eyes oh you mean me i'm glad you like my cooking sam i should feel dreadfully if you didn't but about anita i'm afraid she won't allow me to teach her any of the things i know and when i said i meant to make a sponge cake this morning she said she was going to use the oven but she wasn't for i went out and looked afterward then she said right out that she wasn't used to having ladies in her kitchen and that it made her nervous hm commented the mere man you'd better ask your father to prescribe for the young person and in the meanwhile i should frequent her kitchen till she had gradually accustomed herself to the idea she would leave if i did that sam there are others not like anita objected elizabeth with the chastened air of a three-dimensioned experience you've no idea of the dreadful times people have with servants here in boston and really one oughtn't to expect an angel to work in one's kitchen for twenty-two dollars a month do you think so sam her uplifted eyes and earnest lips and rose-tinted cheeks were so altogether charming as she propounded this somewhat absurd question that sam said speaking of angels puts me in mind of the fact that i have one right in hand and much more of the good old-fashioned nonsense which makes the heart beat quicker and the eyes glow and sparkle with unreasoning joy when the heart is young half an hour had passed in this agreeable manner when elizabeth bethought herself to ask what had i better do about the butcher's and grocer's slips sam dear anita says that in all the places where she has worked they always run bills but if we aren't to do that and we're not you know we agreed that elizabeth yes of course but anita brought me several when i came in to-day i had forgotten all about them do you think i ought to stay at home every day till after the butcher and the grocer and the baker have been sometimes they don't call till after twelve o'clock this was manifestly absurd and he said so emphatically the result of his subsequent cogitations was an order to anita to leave the slips on his desk where they would be attended to each evening mind he said i don't want mrs brewster annoyed with anything of the sort indeed sir i can see that mrs brewster has not been used to being worried about anything and no more she ought the young woman had replied with an air of respectful affection for her mistress which struck sam as being no less than admirable it materially assisted him in his efforts to swallow anita's muddy coffee of a morning and her leaden puddings at night all this while elizabeth light-heartedly entered upon what miss tripp was pleased to call her first boston season there was so much to be learned so much to see so much to be seen so much to enjoy and the new gowns and hats and gloves were so exactly the thing for the matinees teas card parties and luncheons to which she found herself asked with unlooked-for cordiality she could hardly have been expected to know that her open sesame to even this circle without a circle consisted in a low-voiced allusion to the side really remote mrs van duser a connection by marriage my dear it was on a stormy afternoon in late february when dr north unannounced and disdaining the noisy little elevator climbed the three flights of stairs to his daughter's apartment and tapped lightly on the corridor door his summons was answered by an alert young woman in a frilled cap and apron mrs brewster was giving a luncheon she informed him and could see no one but i am mrs brewster's father and she'll want to see me the good doctor had insisted sniffing delicately at the odours of salad and coffee which floated out to him from the gingerly open door 
go tell your mistress that dr north is here and would like to see her in another minute a fashionable little figure in palest rose colour had thrown two pretty lace-clad arms about his neck oh you dear old darling daddy why didn't you let me know you were coming now i've this luncheon party with bridge after it and i can't but you must come in and wait i'll tuck you away somewhere in my bedroom or i can't stay bess at least not long i've a consultation at the hospital at three but i'll tell you i'll be back at five how will that do i've a message from your mother and elizabeth shrugged her shoulders distractedly they won't go a minute before six she said but come then to dinner be sure now the doctor was hungry he had had no lunch and despite the warmth of his welcome there was a perceptible chill about his ageing heart as he slowly made his way down the stairs i'm afraid i'll not be able to make it he told himself my train goes at six fifty and bless me i've just time for a bite at a restaurant before i'm due at the hospital End of chapter eight